Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that it is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thank you, Brianne, for reading for us this morning. Um, guys, like Lance said, on the last Sunday of the month, we have uh, little kids in here with us. And so one of the things I like to do to try to keep them engaged is I'll ask them if they're listening, and they'll respond with, yes, Pastor Kai. Okay, so... Let's try it real quick. Make sure we're on the same page here. Kids, are you listening? Yes, Pastor Kai. Perfect. Perfect. Very good. Adults, feel free to join in as well. Um, I'm talking about God made in, or a man made in God's image today. Um, so I'm going to begin with just a quick illustration with an image. That is a good image right there of a good looking man. Um, so. We're pretty familiar with the concept of an image, right? I mean, we, we see them all the time, but I'm going to ask us to kind of think through what that actually is and what that word means for just a second. So if I were to ask everyone in this room, is that me? Is that me? You would say, is that Kai Martin? You would say what? Yes. And I would, yeah, yes, Pastor Kai, appreciate that. <laughs> I would. Now here's the deal. In some sense, I would strongly disagree with you, okay? Because um, that image is very, very flat. It's two-dimensional. I like to think I'm not a huge guy, but I have some dimension and depth to me, you know? Um, that image can't move. I mean, it hasn't even blinked this whole time, right? I, I'm, I can move. I can move around. I, I don't have to be stuck in one place all the time. Um, that thing that you're looking at right now, it's not married to Emily Martin, at least I hope not. I think I'm the only one there. Um, it doesn't have a, a body, right? It's just chopped off right here, and, that, and then and that's it. So there's a lot of reasons I would say, no, that's not me. I'm, I'm here, right? That's, that's not me. But you guys know, um, it is me, right? But it's an image of me, right? If I showed that picture to my kids, they would know exactly who that is. They would say, yeah, that's, that's dad. Because it bears my image, right? It looks like me. You see that, and there's some things about it that are like me. And of course, there's going to be some things about it which are not like me because it isn't me. It's just an image. Now, if you're sitting here thinking, hey, look, buddy, I didn't wake up this morning to come hear your philosophy of photography class, all right? I promise there's a, there's a point to this. It's going somewhere. It's the idea that the Bible says that we are made in the image of God. 
Um, and when the Bible says that, that necessarily means there are some things in which we are like God, that we as people, as the human race, we bear his image. We are like God. And that's the first point we're going to consider today is that we are like God. And if you, that probably rubs you a little wrong, right? I mean, that phrase in and of itself, if I were to, if I were to personalize that and say, hey, everyone, I am a lot like God, right? That would be like, oh, that's kind of a weird thing to say, right? But, but it's true. This, this is part of the Christian worldview. This is part of the way we as Christ followers view and see the world, make sense of how the world is, make sense of who we are, is this understanding is that there is something very, very, very special about us as people, right? That unlike anything else on this earth, we were made specifically in the image of God, that there is there's some things in us, about us, that are like God. And that's, that's what these words image and likeness mean. Look there in verse 26, Genesis 1, 26, part of what Brianne just read. It says this, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let us make man in our image and after our likeness. And those two words, image and likeness, without getting too deep into the weeds there of language, it basically means that we are like God and we represent God in our image and in our likeness. All right? Um, so there's a lot of ways in which we are not like God, just like there's a lot of ways in that image is not like me, it doesn't have a body, it doesn't move, right? There's a lot of ways in which we are not like God, like we are created. God is not a created being. Right? So in that sense, we are not like God. Um, we are limited. God is not limited. We are dependent. God is not dependent. Another one, the big one is we have a physical body. God does not have a physical body. John chapter 4 makes it real clear that God the Father is spirit. He's a spirit. He doesn't have a body like a man. And yet at the same time, there is something in us that is very much like God. Even, even, even after the fall, even after... The things about us that are like God have been marred, have been distorted because of the fall of man. There's still a remaining essence in us and about us that bears the image of our creator. And it's a similar, it's a similar likeness to that of father and son. Look at this in Genesis 5.3. We'll cover this later, but just to jump in real quick. It says this, when Adam had lived 130 years, he fathered his son in his own likeness, after his image. So Moses, the writer of Genesis, intentionally uses the same language. It's like God made man in his image after his likeness. Similar way, we have children who are made in our image after our likeness. So we could say maybe that, maybe that we are like God in a similar sense that our kids are like us. Right? Our kids are not exactly like us. They are different from us, but there's a likeness. There's a continuity in them, right? So let's look at a few things about how we are like God. What is it about us that is like God? What are the ways in which we bear his image? Um, and the first one I want to point out is, that, is the idea of, that we have morality, right? That there is morals. And a lot of times we're going to look at these things as kind of a ways in which we are not like animals, what sets us, sets us apart as people from all the other created beings, right? So we are moral. So I remember in, um, in college, I was a, a psychology major, um, and 
there, it's funny because I'm sure it's true of most state colleges. The college I went to, um, they had a very atheistic approach to, to psychology. And so their whole thing on behavior and motivation, took a class on that behavior and motivation, and it really all boiled down to this. They basically said, everything we do, every action we make as people is motivated by survival of the individual and survival of the species, right? That, that's the kind of the atheistic way of approaching it. And while there's some truth to that, right, that you know, we'll do a lot of things to survive, we have a survival instinct in us for sure, but that doesn't explain skydiving, right? Like, that was my one thought on that. It was like, if, if everything we do is, is the core motivation is like survival, why in the world would someone go skydiving, right? I mean, it's just, it's just a very oversimplistic way to view the human heart and the human mind to say that we are only driven by survival. Guys, the reality is there's much, much, much more to us than that. Um, the reality is that we are moral beings, that unlike, unlike any other creature, God actually holds us responsible for our actions and for our decisions, right? That God has certain expectations of us and how we're to treat him, how we're to treat others, and a standard that he sets upon us and expects of us that is not given to anything else on the earth because we're special. We have a moral character. Romans 2 talks about how even people who've never heard about God, who've never heard the law, they don't know anything about um, through scripture what God commands of us. It says that they still have a conscience that either excuses or accuses them, right? It talks about that in Romans 2 that everyone, whether they've heard about Jesus or God or his law or not, everyone has a sense deep down of right and wrong, that there are things I should do morally and things I should not do morally that make us feel guilty even before we have any sense of God's law presented to us. Another way we are like God is that we are spiritual, right? Um, how many of you guys have pets, dog or a cat? Anyone? Okay. Keep your hand up if you've ever seen your dog or your cat spend an hour in intercessory prayer for the salvation of one of his children. Right? Like, like there's a sense in which we are spiritual, that our, our bodies are not all there is to us, but we, there's an immaterial um, element to who we are that will go on for eternity, right? And that we relate to God in a spiritual sense in a way that animals and other things don't. Thirdly, mental capacity. Um, that there is the sense of self. There is the sense of an afterlife. There's a sense of me meaning. There's the sense that God has uniquely gifted us with minds that are able to create unlike anything else. Now, there, there are animals that create things, right, that, that build nests or build homes or even build kind of artistic displays, but they've been building those same nests and artistic displays for hundreds and thousands of years, whereas people, there's advancements, there's ingenuity, there's complexity in language. There are things about our minds that bear the image of our creator in a way that nothing else on this planet does. Fourthly, we're communal. Um, there's the idea that God is not just one, but three, um, and that God has made us in his image. I want you to look at this in verse 27. Here's what it says. Genesis 1, 27 says this. Um, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So that when God made the human race, 
He made us to be communal people. That God just did not just create one man to live in isolation, but it says he created them, right? Um, and this is kind of tricky, but there's a sense in which we, the way we relate to each other is a reflection of the community within the Trinity. That as Christians, we believe that God is both three and one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? But we do not believe there are three gods. We believe there is one God who exists in three persons. And part of what it means for man to be made in God's image is that there are some reflections of that, right? That when God made Adam and Eve, there were two beings, right, but one flesh, right? We believe that when a man and woman come together in marriage, that they are, in a, they in a sense, become one, that they are two beings, but in a sense, they are also one. There is separateness, but also oneness, just like in the Trinity, there is separateness, but also oneness with God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So us being communal, us being um, dependent and connected to one another is part of the way we reflect God's image. And let me just kind of show you what I mean by that. Kids, are you listening? Yes, Pastor Perfect. How many of you guys would say that when someone in your house is upset, whether it's a sibling or a parent, that causes other people to be upset too, yes? Yeah, because, right, because we're connected to each other, right? Because we don't just exist as little individual isolated beings, but we exist in community. It's how God has made us. Now, I'm gonna go a little deep here. Um, this is gonna be, uh, this might be a little challenging to follow, but we're gonna try it. I wanna make a statement that I hope will, hope will be helpful. And the statement is this, is that, God is not male. God is not male. God created not just man in his image and then female is kind of an afterthought. It wasn't like that at all, but it says God created them, male and female, in verse 27, he created male and female in his own image. So here's what that means for us is that there are qualities that we consider masculine that are a reflection of the character of God. There are also qualities in us as people that we would consider feminine that are more common in females that are also a reflection of the character of God. Now, I know that it may be confusing to say God is not male because all throughout Scripture, all of the titles given to God, all of the pronouns are always he, right? That God does not reveal himself to us as God the mother, but God the father, right? And, and while that is very, very true, um, and we should not confuse that, we should not start being loosey-goosey with our language there, um, at the same time, we have to keep in mind that God is not a male. God does not have a Y chromosome, right? He does not have facial hair. Um, when March rolls around, he doesn't start pretending like he's been following college basketball all year, okay? All of the things that we think of that are, that are male things um, that are unique to us physically or things like that, that, that God is not male, that God does have masculine qualities about him. Um, and that Jesus was a male, right? That when Jesus came to earth, when God became man, he did come as a male. And I do think there's some significance there in regards to, in the created order, male's role of leadership, and that God came to earth as a male, and that he appointed males, 12 men, um, to establish and lead his church. There's some significance to that, but it would be taking it way too far to say that God is male. In fact, there's lots of times in Scripture where God is compared to females and given female feminine qualities. Let's look at this. Numbers 11, chapter 12 says this. Did I conceive all this people 
Did I give them birth that you should say to me, carry me in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing child to the land that you swore to give their father? So here God is illustrating who he is and what he's done by very, what we would call feminine attributes. Did I not give them birth that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom? So here's why that's significant is I want to say this, women... I'm not going to ask you to say yes, Pastor Kai, but all the women in the room, if you just kind of focus in on this part specifically, the things about you that you consider feminine, that make you uniquely female, as far as your character, those things are a reflection of who God is. God has given that to you as a gift, as a way that allows you to bear his image. Let me just kind of share you one of the things I might mean by that. Um, some of you guys may have heard about this. My wife uh, took the kids to... Target yesterday, um, and while they were there, they were going like from the parking lot across that main drive right in front of the store, going into the store, Eden fell down, and she, she actually was hit by a truck, almost. It was very, very close. Um, so she was almost hit by a truck, and <laughs> seriously, like a, a truck came by and like within inches, like if, if came within inches of hitting her, and I was talking to my wife about it later, because she was telling me what happened, and of course... My first question was like, did you get the license plate number? Um, which is, you know, something a guy would ask, right? Like, I'm, like I'm going to be able to do anything about that. Um, so I asked her that, and she's like, no. And we're talking. I'm like, well, who, what, what did the driver look like? Was it, was it a guy or a girl? And she was like, well, I, I couldn't tell, but it kind of looked like a girl from the way, way I saw it. And I thought, I thought that's interesting, because I would, I would have thought... If the driver was a woman, and she knew that happened because Emily slapped the person's truck as they went by, um, but I was like, if Emily, if, if that person knew they had almost hit a kid and that person was a woman, I would almost expect her to kind of stop and go check to make sure everything was okay, whereas a man, being less maternal, might go, oh crap, I got to get out of here and just, and just go, you know? Um, so I'm thinking about that, and then Jackson actually says, no, Dad, actually, um, I, I saw it from where I was standing, and it was a guy. And I thought, okay, that, that makes more sense, you know? Um, but that just, story just kind of made me think about how there are certain ways in which um, women bear God's image in a way that men don't, right? That that, that maternal caretaking instinct, um, it, it, it's not as though God made man in his image, man alone, without that, right? That, that the things about women that are strong, that are, that are positive attributes that complement us as men, all that is part of God's image, right? That even the, even the good qualities that we consider feminine are also things about women that's, that are there because they were made in his image. So we've got moral, we've got spiritual, mental capacity, communal, and now dominion. Um, and really, from verse 26 on, or verse 28 on, the rest of this chapter is all about God describing the dominion that he gives to man. But you see it even at the beginning in verse 26, the second half. God says, let us make man in our image and after our likeness, and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and the earth and everything that creeps on the earth that God has given us authority, he has given us dominion, that God did not give that dominion to any other animal. God does not have expectations on other animals to populate, to, to fill the earth and to have dominion and to exercise rule and authority over everything on the planet. So that's a lot of just data, I know. 
Um, so let's talk about some implications of that. What does that mean for us? So what? So what if God made man in his image? What if we're special? What if we're unique? What does that mean for us? What does that have to do with us today? Um, the, the first thing I could say is that that should cause us to value human life, right? That we as Christians should understand that human life is valuable in a way that's unique, in a way that's elevated above the life of animals. Um, and for a long time, I feel like this was, this, was kind of a, this was kind of a given for Christians and non-Christians alike, that there was this general idea that a human life was more valuable than the life of an animal. Um, but then you guys remember about three years ago, you remember Harambe, right? Everybody remember? I think it's been long enough that we can talk about this now, right? Some of you guys are getting excited about this. I love Harambe, right? Just if you need a refresher, there was a, in, in a zoo, there was a child that got into the gorilla cages. Um, and then there was a giant gorilla named Harambe who was interacting with this small child. Um, and the zookeepers, those in charge, made the decision to, to shoot the gorilla in order to potentially save the child's life because the gorilla might accidentally be trying to play with the child um, and kill that person, right? And so to preserve this child's life, they made the decision to, to kill the gorilla. And there was all this outrage over it. I mean, there, was, there, were, there were literally like large, significant groups of people saying, you should not have done that, right? That you should not have killed an animal to save the life of a person, that you should not value the life of that child over the life of an animal. Um, but here's, the, here's where that just kind of breaks down logically, right? Is that you're basically saying that animal should not, nothing should be expected of him, that we should not expect that gorilla to, to value a human life over his own, to be able to do this or that, that he's, even if he's just operating on his survival instincts, that that's fine, that's what gorillas should do. But we as people, on the other hand, rather than operating on survival instincts, should make a moral decision about what to do in that situation. So even, in the, even if you take that argument of we should, have, we should have not done that, we should have not killed Harambe, um, you end up kind of shooting yourself in the foot because you're basically saying we should be able to rise above that situation and make a moral decision. So you're saying that there is something special and unique about us that animals don't have. But that aside, I mean, I think we all just, most of us just kind of know that there's an inherent value in human life and we believe the reason for believing that as Christians because only man was made in the image of God. There's something significant and unique about us. So it affects how we view human life. It affects how we view human life in lots of different ways, but one of those ways is that it affects how we view human life in the womb right? I'm not, not trying to be political here, but there are some issues which are moral that are also political. And you guys remember, um, I guess it was about a year ago, maybe you don't remember this, there was an article that came out um, about the country of Iceland. And the country of Iceland basically said, hey, look at us, look how great we are. We have eradicated um, Down syndrome from our culture. Well, as people pressed into that, they realized they hadn't necessarily gotten rid of the um, Down syndrome as a symptom, what they had done is they had aborted all the babies that had it. And there were Christians who stood up to that, who, who spoke out to that and said, no, no, you haven't gotten rid of it. You're just, you're just killing everyone that has it. Those are two very different things. And so all this affects the way we view the world, that as Christians, we would say that every life has value. Every life. 
male, female, Down syndrome, not Down syndrome, all of it. Because all of us are made in the image of God, and with that comes an inerrant, intrinsic value that God places upon us that we value human life. It's why we don't believe in, in euthanasia. It's why we don't believe that like, once people get to a certain age, we should just let them fend for themselves, right? But that we should care for each other. Those who have needs should be cared for by those who are able to care for them. And James 3, um, we looked at that four or five weeks ago, I guess. James chapter 3, the Bible talks about how we shouldn't slander one another because we are made in God's image. That um, Think about it this way, like, if I put that picture back on the screen and we left it there, and one of you guys were to come up and, like, draw a mustache on it and beard and, and make it look really ugly, you know? If you were to kind of defame that image, I would take some offense to that, and I would probably laugh and think it was funny, too. But at the same time, like, when you take someone's image and defame it and ridicule it and make fun of it, you're, in a sense, making fun of or ridiculing or defaming not just that image but that person. And James kind of makes that argument in James chapter 3. He says, look, it's, it's wrong of us to defame each other, to say bad things, to disparage each other's character because that person you're disparaging is made in the likeness of God. And so when you disparage another person's character, right, and you say evil things about them, you curse them, there's a sense in which you're disparaging the nature and the character of God because that person was made in his image. So those are all the ways in which we are like God. Those are all the ways that we represent, not all the ways, but some of the ways that we represent and reflect who he is. Another thing this Pathos teaches us is that not only God has made us like him, but that he has also given us a mission. Look there in verse 28. It says this, Genesis 1, 28. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the birds of the heavens, and every other living creature. So unlike, and again, unlike any of the animals, God says to man, Hey, I've got something for you to do that God gives us as people God gives us great freedom, right, among the earth. He says, go among the earth, take anything you want as food, it's yours, right? But there's also a mission. He says, I've also got a job for you to do. I've got a task. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. That we are not just, um, in the Christian worldview, we are not just simply animals walking on the earth with no accountability and responsibility, but God has given us a mission. Now, there's several ways to look at this idea of the command that God gave Adam. And God commands Adam to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Some would say that that command is still applicable today, that it's still, there's an onus on us as people. There's a command to procreate, to multiply, to fill the earth. Um, others would say, well, you know, that, that command was given to Adam and we've pretty much done it, right? That as people, we have spread across the planet, we have filled the earth, that that command has been accomplished. Regardless of where you land on that, um, I think it's important for us to realize that as, as the world has played out and as things have happened, that mission has been adjusted or maybe even changed to where what I believe is that the, as, as Christians, the mission we have is the Great Commission, Right? That just like God commanded Adam, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, God has commanded us as Christ followers 
with the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, right? That just like Adam was to fill the earth, right, with his seed, with his offspring, that we're called as Christians to fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord. So that God's knowledge, the knowledge of who he is and how great he is, would cover the earth like the waters cover the seeds. That Adam was given this mandate to fill the earth with his offspring, with people, and we as Christians likewise are given the command to fill the earth with the knowledge of God, that every tribe and tongue might know and hear of the greatness of Jesus. And then lastly, the thing I want us to consider from this passage is that we are becoming more like him. We haven't gotten here yet as, we've, as we're walking through Genesis, but what we're going to see very soon is what's called the fall. Um, that God made man in his image, that man was like God. But then something happened, then man sinned, and man's harmony with God, man's likeness to God since then has been distorted. Now, nonetheless, we still bear God's image. There's still a likeness there, but that likeness, that image bearing has been distorted. It's been marred. It's been changed. It's been thrown off, right? And you see that played out in lots of different ways. One of the ways you see that is that with our sin, that unlike God, we now sin. We do things that are against and contrary to his character. And the message of the gospel just basically tells us this, is that We were made in God's image. That's been broken and distorted. And now through the cross, God is restoring us back to his image. That the ways in which sin has caused us to be not like God, God is undoing that through the work of Jesus, making us more like him. Let's look at a couple passages that point us to that. 1 John 3, verse 2 says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. In other words, we are not who we're going to be for all eternity. What we will be being restored, made more into the likeness of God's image, that has not yet happened yet. Look at this. But we know that when he appears, when Jesus comes, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And so there's this kind of idea there in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, is that when we fully see Jesus the perfect God-man, right? The perfect man who ever lived. In some ways, when Jesus came and became a man, he became what you and I were supposed to be. Because Jesus was God. Jesus was not only made in God's image, he was God, but then he took on our flesh, he became a man like us, a man made in God's image to show us who we were supposed to be. And that as we look at Jesus, as we consider who he is, who he was on the earth, we are conformed to his image and becoming who we were supposed to be all along. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. From this, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So 2 Corinthians takes it a step further and basically says, as we behold Jesus, and we behold Jesus through our Bibles, right? Through, through meditation on who he is and what he's done, that as we consider who Jesus was and is, God is actually using our looking upon Jesus and beholding him to conform us to be more like him. And that's, that's the beauty of the message of the gospel, 
It's just simply this, that God made us in his image, but we sinned and we messed that up. So God is undoing that mistake by sending Jesus, he sent his son, to die on the cross to pay for our sins so that through the work of Jesus, we might be rescued back and conformed back to who we were supposed to be, made in the image of God, sharing in more likeness of his character, of who he is, becoming like him, and that one day, that transformation will be consummated, it will be fully and finally completed when Jesus comes back and takes us home. So there's a lot of implications to this, this idea that we are made in God's image, that we, that we bear his image. Um, again, it affects, it affects everything of how we see the world. And it also gives us hope. Right? It gives us hope in the midst of sin, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of even sensing the desire, the rebellion in our own hearts, that God is doing something about that, that he's restoring and renewing us back to his image, back to the way it was supposed to be with harmony, in harmony with our creator as his special, unique beings, right? All these things affect the way we view the world. All these things affect the way we operate, that we have hope that God is going to bring restoration to everything that's broken. Let's pray. God, I pray that this truth would would affect us, would help us, help shape the way we see the world. Um, help us to see ourselves differently in light of this, to see that we are unique, that we are special. God, I pray that all the, all the kids in this room and the adults, everyone in this room would, would walk out of here this morning knowing that they are very special. They are very unique um, because we bear your likeness, because we bear your image. God, even though we are, that image has been broken and there are some things not right about us, God, that you have committed to a great cost to yourself, restore us back to the way it was supposed to be. Would we put our hope in that this morning? Would we put our hope in you? Pray in Jesus' name, amen.